This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Yeah, yeah, kind of a kind of a hope addict, kind of a news addict. I love watching what is going on right now. Best reality show in the world right now is what we're actually living in uh, our society and our politics in this reckoning of uh, the Me Too movement and enough and uh, this uh, amazingly uh, tumultuous, uh, you know, federal level of politics. Uh, Local politics are just as fascinating. Uh, I got to bring my good... uh, friend Erica Ferriston back in here to talk about it. She's been in the, deep in the middle of this. I won't have time probably in the show. In fact, I'd rather she was here to describe it, so I'll wait for that opportunity. Uh, I wanted to start out, though, with a with a little definition. Definition of the word sycophant. I don't know if you've heard that word before. Maybe you already know the definition, but I think it bears repeating. A sycophant, which is spelled S-Y-C-O-P-H-A-N-T, if you're new to it, it is a person who acts obedient or attentive to an excessive or servile degree towards someone important in order to gain advantage. <laughs> you're like thinking, politics, Jeff? That's You just described most people. They're either the one who's important or they're a sycophant, right? And under the, the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement and the Enough movement and the, and the turnover and chaos in the White House, uh, under all that is this second shoe dropping which is what I call the sycophant bubble. The sycophant bubble is breaking open. And uh, that I want to talk about today. Before I get into that, though, today on Possibility Politics, the place where we look at this experiment called America and try to leave her better than we found her, I will be looking at the tariffs on steel and aluminum, uh, the latest in the gun debate, including the Republican panic attack after the president's latest ideas, what's happening with the one and only bill passed through Congress, tax cuts, and how they're affecting Americans versus how Americans think it's affecting them. We'll do an update on electoral politics, including more special elections and the 2018 fate of Dianne Feinstein and Ted Cruz. What? Uh, they're not a shoe in for a re-election? What? Also, Ryan Seacrest. Did he or didn't he? No, he didn't. Or did he? <laughs> Plus, the street artist Plastic Jesus has hit Hollywood Boulevard with another social commentary sculpture, just in time for Oscars. And uh, time permitting, we'll do a little Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia, 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 Russia. And by the way, uh, my condolences to anyone facing the latest weather. The coast, I mean, wow. They're calling it a bomb cyclone, not just a nor'easter hitting the, you know, all the way from Maine down to North Carolina. Out here in the West Coast, Montecito and other hillside communities have evacuated. I love some of these. I don't love them. They're terrifying. But some of these quotes, like a, a pilot landing at Dulles Air for Airport in uh, in high winds said, pretty much everyone on the plane threw up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one I got from the weather reporter on CBS uh, this morning said, um, I love that. I can't believe this, this quote. was said, the coastline of New England will be altered by this storm. I just had to sit and hear that. The coastline of New England will be altered by this storm. Whoa. So, uh, again, uh, Godspeed to anyone and everyone facing the latest weather whiplash over there or over here, pretty much everywhere. But back to this sycophant bubble. You know, when I I watch what's happening 
in the White House, I am reminded of my experiences here in Hollywood. Experiences that anyone who's spent any time in La La Land has witnessed. I won't drop names in order to protect the guilty, but like many of you here in La La Land, uh, I have witnessed perceptions distorted by sycophant bubbles. So what's a sycophant bubble? Uh, it's just like it sounds. It's, it's, it's a situation where someone powerful, famous, uh, gets, surrounds themselves with folks, just keeps hiring uh, and replacing with folks that will believe in everything they do all the time. In fact, uh, Hope Hicks, who is now departing the White House after being dressed down by Donald Trump. If you've read Fire and Fury or Fury or read any of the other accounts of the White House, one of the things that's legendary uh, in the Donald Trump universe is when the cameras aren't rolling, he rips into people with expletives and cruelties and insults. And it is uh, apparently a sight to behold, and it's hard to survive it without feeling low and humiliated. But that is what happened to Hope Hicks once Donald Trump got wind of the fact that she came out of the congressional hearing with the Senate Intel with the uh, House Intelligence Committee, saying after telling them that uh, admitting that she has to tell white lies on behalf of the president. When she heard that, and she got back to the White House. She he tore her a new one, and that apparently made her go ahead and decide to resign. She's doing it, uh, you know, over a period of time. She's given it in her two weeks' notice because she's pretty classy that way, I suppose. Uh, but Hope Hicks is occupying one of what I call the starring roles in the sycophant bubble. That is the legitimizer. The legitimizer is now, first of all, usually very attractive, always a nice-looking person, male or female, and they're a great communicator. They have the, that permagrin, right? Because putting on a smile is the best convincer that everything is fine. <laughs> but he or she is also the one that loses themselves most deeply in the process of that crusade of the defense of their boss and the defense of what the boss is saying, no matter how insane it might be. Harvey Weinstein obviously had lots of legitimizers around him, pretty smart, intelligent people who would escort uh, women that he wanted to uh, predatorize into his hotel room or whatever. Um, but the legitimizer is the one who slowly becomes a sociopath for the cause, a true believer because they see that their value is lying in the fact of how willingness, how much willingness they have to lie. And they lie more and bigger. And I've witnessed it firsthand. And I've confronted people that were in the bu a bubble with the truth and looked them in the eye, the legitimizers, and they came up with a new lie right in front of me. And because they just get lost, they lose themselves in their own sociopathy. They, they just think this is how it works, especially young ones. You know, Hope Hicks, 29 years old, not super young, but definitely not old and wise. And she's been with them for years. In fact, she's one of the last ones still with the White House, <laughs> who was from the original Dan Scavino, I think is the last person who was around and part of Trump's circle, other than Jervanka, other than uh, Jared and Ivanka, who was around as part of Trump's world before the presidency. And, uh, you know, she was one of these folks that I, I give, I have some sympathy for because I've seen it before. You know, they're pretty, they're attractive, and they come into this world and they think this is how it works, and they get rewarded regularly and praised for how well they're willing to lie, and it doesn't, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So uh, when we come back, I want to get a little deeper into that because that's going to kind of weave through all of the different stories today, including the one about Plastic Jesus and about tax cuts and everything, gun control, it all has to do with that. So thank you for listening. We're going to keep going here in just a minute on Possibility Politics. 
This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, producing the show. Thank you, Premier Networks. This is the place where we look at this great experiment called America, like I said, and leave it better. It's the independent state of mind, uh, where we look at this gorgeous country in all her complicated glory and love her exactly the way she is. She's doing just fine. We're doing well. This is an awakening. This is the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. If you look throughout our world and throughout history, you will see that in times of high contrast... High struggle, high conflict. That is when the greatest amount of growth occurs. You know, it's like 1968 all over again. It's weird how it's like 50 years pretty much to the moment, and we're back in it, and we're back in the high growth. So, And it's good. It's good for us, and including this kind of stuff, the reckoning with all these different movements, and now the recognition that part of the reckoning is the sycophant bubble, is those who are willing to enable it, who feel like, well, this isn't just how it works. Well, then I'll keep doing it. And Hope Hicks... um, It's fascinating to watch her because like the other more fortunate legitimizers, because I've seen legitimizers that just keep on going and they just find a new boss, a new power structure, a new cause to take their sociopathy on the road. But Hope Hicks seems to be having her what I call the uh, what have I become moment. (laughs) And that'll happen when you sit down with a federal prosecutor and are facing federal a conspiracy to commit obstruction of justice charges. Because if you've been watching your news, you've seen how she was uh, very much uh, Mark, uh, attorney Mark Corallo, who was a in, inner circle Trump attorney uh, spokesperson who quit the moment he was on the plane of Air Force One and they were coming back from overseas and they were, uh, you know, Trump, Donald Trump, Jr., all these folks were devising and Hope Hicks uh, were devising how to lie about the uh, the Comey firing and the meetings with Russians trying to get dirt on Hillary. Hope Hicks was part of that. And she's like, oh, it'll be fine. They'll never find out. She's on record, according to Mark Corallo. Of saying those sorts of things. Now, of course, they've already flipped uh, Papadopoulos. They've flipped uh, a dozen other people uh, that you're probably not even aware of yet, I would think, because it seems because we just keep getting surprised, right? I'm not saying for sure. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we, we usually find out after the fact who has flipped. Rick Gates has flipped. That's about as big as you get. They're trying to put pressure on Paul Manafort to flip. But I can just visualize because I've kind of seen again. I've seen the Hollywood version of that. When the legitimizer suddenly recognizes, again, what if I become moment where they recognize that they're deep in, in a criminal exposure and they forgot that, that that there was a rest of the world. You do. I've seen it. I've witnessed it firsthand. They, they just kind of go, well, this is this, the talent says that this is cool and, this, and, every, and it's working and the talent's getting rewarded for it. And the boss is making more money, getting more deals for it. So wait, you're telling me it's a federal crime? <gasps> and that's what she's doing right now. And that's why she's leaving. She left. Her and Rafael, Josh Rafael, too, another one who's having a what moment. And they're realizing, you know, obviously got Ryan Priebus already left. Sean Spicer already left. These folks are either by force or by desire and a combination of both. And, um, you know, we're going to see what her tale is. But I I would say with confidence that uh, she will be a key witness uh, because she's under so much criminal exposure that Bob Mueller can make it very simple to her. uh, You know, tell us the truth. Tell us what you know. And we will make you just a hapless victim in a broader conspiracy and let you kind of off the hook as long as you're completely forthright. That was Rick Gates's mistake, by the way. He decided not to be forthright. He lied to prosecutors because he had so much criminal exposure from all his money laundering deals. And now he's going to be facing uh, a few less charges because of cooperation. But it's the moment 
he 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 flipped on the day after he uh, lied to Bob Mueller. It's a fascinating thing. It's a, it's the most amazing Greek tragedy that we are walking watching right now. That was Shakespearean Greek tragedy. And one of the great things about Greek tragedies or Shakespearean tragedies, uh, Greeks invented the word hubris, which is arrogance to the point of you know self destruction. And uh, they, we, one of the things about those tales that's common is it's, you, you realize you're getting to the end of the tragedy when the uh, main character turns on their own family. In fact, there was even a story in the New York Times today that claims, it's early, I'm not sure about this one, but claims that Donald Trump is trying to talk to John Kelly about re- extracting Jared and Ivanka from the White House uh, you know, influence and schedules and just so he, they can go back to just being his kids and he doesn't have to deal with all this uh, pressure and embarrassment of what's going on. So, but to the to the to the to the part of the sycophant bubble, it's happening here in Hollywood. Not only with Harvey Weinstein, which gets me to the Plastic Jesus story. Now, Plastic Jesus is the street performance uh, sculptor who first kind of became famous when Donald Trump, during his campaign, was talking about building a wall around everything. He built this little wall with little, you know, uh, um, uh, barbed wire and electric fence, and he built a little wall around Donald Trump's star of walk, a star on the Walk of Fame. <laughs> he got a little, you know, attention for that. Well, his latest one is he has built a f- totally gold, you know, shaped, gold colored. I'm sure it's some gold paint, but it's a gold statue, life-size statue of Harvey Weinstein sitting in his, in his robe, sitting on a casting couch and holding an Oscar. And he put it on Hollywood Boulevard for the Oscar winners, nominees, participants, attendees to walk by as they make their way from Highland uh, down Hollywood Boulevard to the, to the, you know, the Dolby theater where the, where the Oscars take place. That's one part of the sycophant bubble. The other one is Ryan Seacrest and what's going on there. The story keeps getting traction. You probably saw it, that there was a stylist who claims that she he was she was actually harassed by him. And there's a very graphic, specific uh, things that she claims he did. And what I'm finding is different in this Me Too generation. For the first time, people are listening to the woman. Because otherwise, they would have said, that's one accuser. I believe Ryan Seacrest. He's a giant uh, commodity. Forget it. We're not going to talk about it. But this time it's being taken seriously, and so there's an actual debate out in the open there. But it's open to a couple different things. One, there isn't a second accuser. So for my money, I don't know what your opinion is, but as I see the he said, she said, it has been a very equal he said, she said. You know, she said that he did this sexual harassment, then she has a witness, and then the witness comes forward and says, yep, that's what I saw. He says it didn't happen, and then he brings forth a witness who says that they're making it up, that it didn't happen, that, and nothing happened that way. And then she said that I never asked for any money from Ryan Seacrest in, 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 in extortion or compensation. And the Ryan Seacrest camp says she asked for millions of dollars. So you've got a complete difference. Each lawyer saying the opposite and there isn't a tiebreaker. If, there's a, if there was a, a trial, then maybe we'd have a jury to determine from the evidence what makes sense. But for the moment, this is a innocent until proven guilty. This is a tie. And I've got nothing except to say that uh, unless another accuser comes forward, because this is the fascinating thing about this new Me Too movement, is typically when an accuser comes forward, it's a, how the accused responds usually dictates if more accusers come forward. And that's kind of what I was waiting for, meaning that like uh, a couple times that accuser came come forward and someone like Louis C.K., the accusers came forward, Louis C.K. immensely owned it as much as he could. <laughs> you can argue whether or not he did a good job on it, but he owned it enough that other accusers didn't feel the need to bring it up, right? Because it's like, okay, the guilt has been admitted. We're, we're kind of working through it. 
But like in the case of Dustin Hoffman or some of these other folks, when they absolutely categorically deny it, like Harvey Weinstein, uh, then you get this flood of other accusers going, oh, no, you didn't. I am not going to let you get away with this. You're not going to just be able to just go, oh, yeah, it didn't happen. So I apply that rule a little bit to Ryan Seacrest. They've got the one accuser. They've made it very public right now. Ryan Seacrest has made a full-throated denial, and we haven't had another accuser. So does that make him more innocent, more guilty? It really just makes it a tie. I don't. I do not know. And so, therefore, in a tie, innocent until proven guilty, we all got to just kind of move forward. But one of the things that is happening is we also recognized in that dialogue that the E Channel, which is basically owned by Ryan Seacrest, you know, the Kardashians is on there. That's his product. The executive produces. I don't know what percentage of what's on E, but a lot. Uh, somebody else would know better. But they've did, exposed some serious pay disparity at E. And so the story goes. Again, I'm not working there. I don't I haven't seen their balance sheet. But the, uh, you know, the report, the news copies are talking about how if you're a man at the E! Channel, you get paid twice as much as a female. Twice as much. I mean, they've got like hosts that are sharing the same show that came on at the same time. And the female host gets uh, one half as much as the male host. So that exposed their, uh, you know, a version of a sycophant bubble that allows that to just perpetuate. So to be continued <laughs> for sure on that story. So and, and I did, I, I dabbled into the Russian thing. And so let me come back to that a little bit because this is the sycophant bubble that has fallen apart. Donald Trump doesn't really have any more loyalists in the White House anymore. And, um, you know, it's, it's getting tighter and tighter. And we're finding more about WikiLeaks. And that, you know, he, I don't know if you know this, but Donald Trump mentioned WikiLeaks on the campaign 140 times. And we're finding out that Bob Mueller is now looking very carefully. We, 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 the reporting says he's looking. And if the reporting says he's looking, that means he started looking four or five or six months ago because the reporting tends to be delayed. It's not because they're bad reporting. It's just that it takes usually a little while for the leakers and the exposers to be brave enough to jump out and admit to it. But, um, they, it is getting worse for these guys, and we're starting to recognize that Roger Stone and these and then company, they were aware, at least aware, that the Russians had hacked into Podesta's emails and Hillary's emails, and we're going to roll it out. And then, of course, he's got lots of moments on the campaign trail where he mentions WikiLeaks and how great it is. And, I, and then, he, of course, the classic quote of saying, well, Russia, if you're listening, uh, find those emails. Well, they had already found them. Interesting. And they released them and they promised they would, apparently, at least to folks like Papadopoulos. And so the only thing, the only way that Donald Trump could could even remotely have some reduction on his his criminal exposure, because his obstruction of justice is clear, is if um, he somehow was the most ignorant person ever. And it was, uh, you know, he did the old mafia thing. You ever saw the movie Goodfellas and Pauly uh, never used telephones. Uh, he always made sure that uh, nobody knew that he knew anything. <laughs> and that seems extremely unlikely. Uh, that would mean that he doesn't even talk to his own son, Donald Trump Jr. No. But apparently it's not working. And people think, you know, because they've been attacking or not, that's not working. There are attacks the, on, the, on, the, on the FBI, the attacks on the Justice Department. Uh, it has only doubled down the resolve of folks like Jeff Sessions. I don't know if you ever noticed, he just had a dinner at uh, where he sat down with Rod Rosenstein and the Inspector General, which is the number one and number two, you know, number two and number three under him at the Justice Department, which was clearly a statement to Donald Trump that uh, you can't fire us, we're going to continue. And the American people seem to agree. They did some polling and they said uh, that 58% have some or a lot of trust in Mueller's investigation. 
And uh, 57% say they have little or no trust in Trump's denials. Uh, (laughs) And 75% of the populace said they take the charges filed by Mueller seriously. Most of them say they would take it very seriously. So uh, the the noose is tightening. We're going to watch this one unfold. It's going to be a little while. Uh, Paul Manafort goes on trial in September. I would look for a plea deal before that as because he's got so many counts. The, uh, the speculation is he's waiting for Donald Trump to pardon him, which he can't even do because you can only a president can only pardon on federal crimes, first of all. Second of all, uh, if you pardon on those federal crimes, it's, a pardon is an admission of guilt, and that requires Paul Manafort to immediately cooperate with the, with the uh, prosecution of anybody else, including Donald Trump. So that's not going to help Donald Trump. And then the second part of that, is that Paul Manafort is also being tried and charged in at least three states, Chicago, well, D.C. isn't a state, but D.C. and Virginia, and possibly also New York and New Jersey. They're forming indictments there. So he's, and and you can't pardon, only a governor can pardon a state crime. A federal crime has to be pardoned by a, um, you know, by a, a president. And so <laughs> it's going to get ugly. It's going to get bad. Uh, we're going to see this as the greatest, biggest crime in American history. And it's going to cause us into a bit of a constitutional crisis because we're going to figure out if this if this presidency has this question of legitimacy, you know, what do you do with Mike Pence? And by the way, the 25th Amendment is getting close to be evoked, which is when, you know, the cabinet majority says uh, the president is unfit to serve. And that I'll tell you why that is. Because of what he said on guns yesterday. That when we return to Possibility Politics. You've tuned into Possibility Politics, the home of truth, justice, sarcasm, laughs, and epiphanies, all while looking at the American way. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks again, Juan Velasquez, putting the show together. And uh, I think, well, let's just get right to it. Let's bring in uh, a little uh, Daily Show. President Trump invited lawmakers back to his apprentice set to discuss <laughs> what can be done to stop gun violence. Now, if people came in expecting Trump to side with Republicans, they were in for a big shock because Trump is unpredictable. Just when you think he's gonna zig, he punches you in the nuts. President Trump shocked lawmakers in a bipartisan meeting on Wednesday, calling out the NRA, calling four comprehensive gun control measures backed by Democrats. Lawmakers are confused after President Trump seemed to buck his own party. Some of you people are petrified of the NRA. You can't be petrified. Yeah. Donald Trump attacked his own party for being scared of the NRA. I did not see that coming. Like, that was the craziest twist since the end of Usual Suspects, you know? Yeah, like when we found out that Kevin Spacey molested Kaiser Soze, that was just mind-blowing. And, and, uh, and if you thought Trump was going rogue when he attacked Republicans and the NRA, wait until you see him supporting the Democrats. Oh, man. Mr. President, what do we do Dianne about Feinstein. weapons of war easily accessible on our streets? So you money. go into a store and you can buy an, an AR-15. You can. You can buy a Tech 9 I mean, you can buy all these weapons. Joe and Pat, you're going to have to discuss that. You'll sit down with Diane and everybody else, and you'll come up with something. And I think it, I, I really believe it has to be very strong. Did you see that? <laughs> I gotta explain Did this. Did you see the joy mm. on Diane Feinstein's Seriously. face when Trump tells the conservatives to put her in the bill? <laughs> like she looks happier than Ted Cruz on Halloween. He's like, finally, my doorbell rang. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, Diane Feinstein, you've got to see the clip. She's just, she does a little happy dance when he looks to the Republicans and says, you've got to do this, and she's just going, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. An 84-year-old woman suddenly became a, you know, 11-year-old girl. Uh, it was pretty, pretty funny. And I'm not trying to be schadenfreude here. I, I have uh, <laughs> I have sympathy for my Republican friends. Again, as you know, I come from a family of Eisenhower Republicans, and to see what has become of the party where uh, they're holding on to and protecting Donald Trump because they want to get these. This is And let's face it, Scalia, these other guys, Joe, these folks that he's looking across the table at, uh, this, they see this as the last opportunity to lock in these uh, protections, lock in the way that the conservative ideology, because they can see the Democratic wave coming at great velocity. Uh, in fact, uh, Dianne Feinstein uh, is is suffering some of that wave too because she didn't. If you know this locally here in California, she did not get the endorsement of the California Democratic Party for her Senate re-upping uh, for re-election because in the Democratic Party has a thing when they they bring the delegates together, they vote on it. If you if a candidate gets sixty percent or more of the vote, they get the endorsement of the Democratic Party. Well, she got about fifty-seven percent, still awesome. Well, the other forty-something percent was, I think, mostly went to. I don't know if there was a couple other candidates, but to Kevin DeLeon, who is the Senate Pro Tem of of the state legislature here, and and he is a far more progressive progressive. And so the the, the discussion in the in the halls of Democratic politics was not so much that she's too old, but that she's not keeping up. This is a woman who supported the crime bill, who supported attack going into Iraq. And progressives find that uh, hard to swallow, mostly also because she still kind of bops around with this. She's supporting an assault weapons ban with Democrats appreciate, but she's not going uh, as far as they'd like on on privacy concerns and this and that. So she's uh, facing a jeopardy and the Republicans are facing the <laughs> the reality of this because the Republican Party has cultivated a electorate that said that, that, that they've said to them, you have to have everything or nothing. This is how it works. And that liberals are the absolute enemy. Don't ever trust them. They're all bad. And so it, if you don't, if a Republican isn't hard enough and hard line enough, they're getting primaried or they're getting in jeopardy. And of course, it's a waking up a, a Democratic electorate like we've never seen before. We're, they're now up to 39 special elections uh, since t- Trump was elected, 30, meaning elections that were vacancies of seats, there would be more. But Scott Walker, Republic, uh, Republican governor of Wisconsin, has refused to even hold elections for the Republican seats that were vacated by p- folks who went to work in the Trump administration because he knows they're going to lose. Because 39 have been losses and only four have been wins. And those were won in the first few weeks after Trump was elected. And these losses have been 20, 30, 40, 50 point swings in favor of the Democrats. And they're terrified. Currently, right now, Texas is looking like a swing state. What? Gallup, Cook Report, they're all reporting things as toss ups, even to the point of Senator Ted Cruz, who's up for reelection, obviously, here in 2018. He has a competitor, Beto O'Rourke, who is a congressman locally in, uh, in Texas. And he has almost no name recognition beyond his congressional district and yet is within single digit striking distance of Ted Cruz. And prognosticators are very uh, expecting that once Beto makes O'Rourke makes a uh, a plea to the broader populace of, of Texas. And by the way, in the last fundraising quarter, he raised one point five million dollars more than Ted Cruz did. 
Uh, this is a wave of wave of waves that's building up like nothing ever seen. If you use history, you know, in Watergate, when the White House was in the middle of investigations and scandals and potential impeachment, the midterm elections of, 20, of 1974 came up, and that was a Democratic wave as well. And that was just the one thing. In this particular wave, there is a all of the all of the left, most of the middle, and a good chunk of the right are so disgusted by Donald Trump and the enablers in Congress who haven't checked him on the things where he went off the rails and promoted him and supported him and passed the things that he promised. Right? Because a lot of things that Donald Trump promised to do that the Republicans were really on board. In fact, a lot of them, the most the whole entire country was on board infrastructure, health care, um, some real reforms, and he can't get any of it through. And they're pretty p- 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 pissed off about it, <laughs> to say the least. So, um, and, and to that, uh, as we return back to the gun debate, um, I want to, in just a second here, I want to bring up how this is being received on the right. Because what he said, I'm going to play the other quote that Donald Trump said about what you should do with people like the shooter in Parkland. And it had rhymes with uh, raking your runs away. <laughs> it's not pretty. And the Republicans didn't like it. And so when we come back, he, he lost one of his biggest uh, sycophants in that process. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back here at Possibility Politics. Ah, make yourself at home. This is Possibility Politics, where we feelize our way to a saner future. It's all working. It really is. Uh, it's, it, it feels ugly and squishy and chaotic. And if you go on your Facebook page, you want to kill your friends and you want to block some of them out. Uh, and that's okay, because these are the, this is how you know, movements go forward. The old ideas die out, the new ideas come in, and they're not Republican or Democratic necessarily. In fact, the parties will switch back and forth in what they believe in so many times through history. It really shouldn't make that much difference. And and also, too, if you think, oh, the Democratic ideals, if you're if you're a Republican that's frustrated, the Democratic wave is coming and you're seeing this as like, how can the Democrats win? Well, just to make you feel a little better, the Democrats aren't winning. The Democrats are having a revolution, too. Uh, all these candidates that are the most more candidates are running than have ever run in a congressional cycle ever, uh, a midterm cycle. And they're coming up. Because they're brand new and they are pulling from what Trump said we should do and from what Bernie said we should do and from what Hillary said we should do and and cobbling the ideas where we all agree. As they always say, we agree more than we disagree. We are united more than we are divided. And these new candidates that are rebuilding the the Democratic Party are kind of neither. And the Republicans that are surviving it uh, are some of them are neither, too. And the ones that aren't are retiring because they don't want to get shellacked and embarrassed. So... What did Donald Trump say about guns that uh, made everyone on the right kind of freak out? Well, allow me to play. Take the firearms first and then go to court. Go <laughs> Then go to court? What? Right? We have to do something very decisive. Number one, you can take the guns away immediately from people that you can judge easily are mentally ill, like this guy. You know, the, the police saw that he was... They didn't take any guns away. Now, that could have been policing. I think they should have taken them away anyway, whether they had the right or not. A lot of times, by the time you go to court, it takes so long to go to court to get the due process procedures. Uh, I like taking the guns early, like in this crazy man's case that just took place in Florida. But take the guns first, go through due process second. I mean, wow. Even the far left uh, doesn't agree with taking things without due process. And that made him lose 
for at least temporarily, he'll be back on Fox News. He lost, Donald Trump lost one of his great legitimizers, although I don't know if his Tucker Carlson is as pretty as Hope Hicks, but he lost one of the legitimizers uh, when it came to this one. Tucker Carlson. First, the president's core supporters put up with a lot from day to day. You yeah. don't need to be specific about that. You know exactly what we're talking about, starting with the tweets. We won't go on. But the shortcomings of this administration are clear. They're usually worth it, though, for two reasons. First, the ideas the president ran on are basically right. America first ought to be the operating principle of every American administration. By definition, okay. it's an American so administration. America should be first, but that's not the motto of most administrations, not even hardly. Second, the alternatives to what we have now are scary and getting scarier. The Democratic Party is completely irresponsible and increasingly anti-American. So you can always count on him to feel like a victim to the Republican Party, to the Democratic Party. Really? Just believe in your ideas. This, again, as a former, you know, as a, as a family born in Republicans, it's like... But fight for your ideals. Don't spend all your time identifying and blaming and being a victim to Democrats. Screw what the Democrats are doing. Just demonstrate why conservative ideals rock and you'll move forward. Anyway, back. I'm done. Soapbox, back down. They prefer illegal aliens to our middle class. That's true. And it's terrifying. <laughs> it's not true. And someone needs to defend the country from these people. Okay. Trump mostly does that. So for these reasons, most of the president's supporters have stuck by him no matter what has happened, and a lot has happened. Yeah. But there's a limit to the tolerance. Uh. They will not tolerate, and they shouldn't have to tolerate, by the way, betrayal on the core promises of his campaign. What? Keep going. And that seems to be happening <laughs> on guns, unfortunately. A few days ago, the president called for raising the minimum age for buying a gun to 21. By the way, that's four years after we let people join the military. They can join at 17. But he's saying you can't buy a gun until you're 21. And by the way, out of the 156 shooters, only four of them have been under uh, 21. Carry on. Now, nobody's even arguing this will save actual lives because there's no research that it will. It's propaganda, and it's sneaky propaganda, by the way. It's an incremental step toward more gun restrictions. That's all it is. La, la, la. And then yesterday, the president went even further than that. He met with lawmakers to talk gun control at the White House. At that meeting, he went after Republicans who want to defend the Second Amendment, suggesting they're puppets of the NRA. <laughs> at one point, the president said the government should, quote, Take the guns first, go through due process second. Now, I mean, how honest do you want to be? Imagine if Barack Obama had said that. Yes. Just ignore due process and start confiscating guns. Well, Obama would have been denounced as a dictator. We would have denounced him first, trust me. Congress would be talking impeachment right now. Someone would be muttering about secession. Yeah. Now, I rarely agree with Tucker Carlson because he's a, he's, a, he's a perpetually persecuted victim, and and he loves finding all again identifying enemies is all he likes to do. Not all, but it's mostly what he likes to do. But I agree with him right there. Uh, if Obama had said, "Yeah, let's take the guns and then we'll adjudicate it later," they would have impeached him just for saying it. And so, what I'm fascinated by is this sycophant bubble is breaking. It's popping open. If you say things that are so insane that you lose Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump. Um, you know, but he, of course he'll turn around. He'll come right back around. He did it with DACA. He did it with everything else. He'll just, he'll turn on his, his own personal news channel of Fox News. He'll see them talking about him and saying that he needs to fix it. He'll hear his buddy Sean Hannity say, Mr. President, you can't do that. And he'll not do it. So, you know, whatever. Obviously, if you're a Trump supporter, you're going to end up getting that. But if you but I'm proud of Tucker Carlson for finally recognizing and admitting out loud that his president uh, betrays him on occasion. And, you know, I'm not just picking on him. You know, when, when Obama was around, uh, I was a pretty big fan of Obama. But uh, when people said, oh, he did, you know, he's, he's, he's bombing people with drones all the time. I say, you know what? That is not cool. 
uh, you know, and so you've got to be honest with your appreciation of your politician or else you're just going to turn into a legitimizer like Hope Hicks, who just, just protects and continues and enables and become you become a sociopath. Uh, but I love what happened on Daily Show because um, <laughs> what's happening on the right right now uh, was perfectly encapsulated by, uh, by Trevor Noah. Now, look, this is an extreme position by Trump. Right? It's even more extreme than the Democrats were asking for. And I guess yesterday, some people on the left got a glimpse of why Trump's people love him so much. He wants to take action, and he's not going to let anything stop him. And people on the right got a glimpse of why people are terrified of Trump on the left. <laughs> he wants to take action, and he's not gonna let anything stop him. See? Yeah. And you know, they thought, oh, you know, it'd be fine. You know, it's this weird thing we, we tell ourselves. And they do it on the left and right. It doesn't matter which side you're on, where you decide that, that well, okay, here's the candidate, and if we wanna keep being winner, we're just gonna have to ignore all these horrible character flaws. And we'll say, we'll still say he's a Christian, even though he uh, bears fault witness. <laughs> he's constantly in, in four to seven of the seven deadly sins in a, in a perpetual con- condition. Uh, he is not blessed of the peacemakers. You know, and that's okay. We'll just kinda, because, you know, we'll get our policies through. How much are you going to sell out your soul to get what you want? Now, fortunately, um, so many of my Republican friends have recognized this, and there will be a rebirth. But it appears the only way there will be a rebirth is after a giant cleansing. Uh, So one more thing before we we jump out of this is that tax cuts, right? These big tax cuts, which are starting to have an uptick in their popularity. Okay, you know, good. All right, Republicans, you did something that uh, people are okay with. Uh, they're actually kind of enjoying, right? The problem is it's not uh, it's not based on an accurate process of what they are receiving. And in this case, I have to actually jump over and get a little uh, another another commentator to do it because they did a nice little wrap around on this. So I think this cap- encapsulates the debate, and we'll come back around on the other side. As tax cuts are in the books, companies start sharing the wealth, dishing out bonuses. Corporate America takes the chance to pay out hundreds of millions in tax-related bonuses, with AT&T and Comcast handing out $1,000 to a slew of employees citing the tax deal. Right, Two U.S. airlines have joined banks in dishing out $1,000 bonuses in the wake of the new tax deal. More than 3 million folks have already gotten these $1,000 bonuses plus. Business news, as you might recall, was all over the bonuses that were announced by corporate America in the wake of right. Donald Trump and the Republicans' tax cut, which passed in December. And perhaps not surprisingly, the RNC and the White House got in on the action, too. They would send out press releases touting all the money Americans would be getting back in their paychecks. But there hasn't been as much celebrating about the news of the huge corporate windfalls. Like, just to choose one example, the 29 billion dollars that Warren Buffett says his company, Berkshire Hathaway, gained thanks to the new tax law. Money that Buffett openly stated didn't come from anything we accomplished. As Gene Sperling of The Atlantic points out, that one $29 billion, quote, gift to a single investment firm is enough to give a $1,000 bonus to 29 million workers, and that's every worker in the states of Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Florida combined. That's just one company's windfall, okay? Right. So, just to get a general sense, here's where the scoreboard for the tax bill currently stands. Total amount that's gone to American workers in the form of bonuses and wage increases announced since the Trump tax cut is $5.2 billion, which is not nothing. 
That's a lot of money. But the total amount that has gone to shareholders, the owners, the bosses, thanks to stock buybacks, where corporations take the money they've saved due to the tax cuts, use it to inflate stock prices so that shareholders and corporations themselves get richer, that currently totals $178 billion. Or, just doing the math in my head here, not reading off the teleprompter, more than 34 times what workers have gotten. This is one place where the president has kept his promise. You will remember what Donald Trump said the week after the election to diners at a New York City restaurant that charges $36 for a burger. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Mr. Uh, president Thank you. Thank you. Get your taxes down. No, Thank you. Get your taxes down. Thank you. We'll get your taxes down. Don't worry. Maybe the one time Donald Trump has proved to be a man of his word. $5.2 billion to American workers, in theory, of course. Hopefully that'll actually translate out it. And $178 billion going to people who already have money. The the corporations and the shareholders and this and that. I mean, if that's not stark enough. And by the way, one little thing. They're adding 1.5. This tax cut adds 1.5 to 1.3 to 1.5 trillion dollars to the deficit. So that means that if you're one of those lucky households that got a $1,000 bonus, try to remember that the debt that you now have, because you divide that debt amongst households in America and amongst individuals, if you're in a household of five people, you now have $26,000 in debt as a result of that $1.5, $1.3 trillion. $20,000 to $26,000 for your $1,000 bonus so that all that money can be borrowed off you and given to corporations. This will not stand. This is why there's going to be a wave in 2018 of other people. In this case, it's Democrats, but it just it has to be because we're in a two-party system. I wish we had multiple parties, but that's the way it is. Uh, so anyway, I wanted to update you on that. And I also want to leave you uh, one more little clip before we get out here because I promised. Uh, in fact, I won't say much about it. I'll just let Stephen Colbert explain the whole steel tariff thing. And the CNN chaos. summed it up this way. White House meltdown on full display. Well, the White House tours must be getting really interesting. Okay, now we're passing the Lincoln bedroom. On your right, you'll see John Kelly suffocating Jared Kushner with a pillow. (laughs) On your left, you'll see the claw marks on the wall left by Steve Bannon as they dragged him to the curb. (laughs) Let's go. Now, the uh, first, what happened here? The president just announced he is putting tariffs on imported steel and aluminum. So, the gun thing is solved, I guess? (laughs) Moving on. The guy's got the attention span of a goldfish off its Ritalin. So, why? Why did he do this? Turns out Trump's nostalgic for the days of Big Steel. I remember when I was growing up, U.S. Steel, that was the ultimate company. And today you have so many closed plants. And the NAFTA deal was a disaster for our country. Yeah, we all remember growing up idolizing U.S. Steel. I remember I, I, remember I had the trading cards. I traded Billy Clark, my chairman, David M. Roderick, for his CEO, Walter Munford, rookie card. <laughs> Just in mint condition. I keep it in the sleeve. Now, I'm no economist, so I can't say whether this tariff is good or bad, but I'm guessing bad <laughs> because Trump announced it. Yeah. And the Dow dropped 500 points. Yeah. Yes, it sunk like an anchor made of solid American steel. (laughs) So, the market has spoken. Unfortunately, I cannot repeat the word it said on CBS. (laughs) Now, it turns out 
raising steel tariffs may be Trump's best idea since give teachers guns. Because most economists agree that Trump's massive new tariffs will hurt U.S. businesses and consumers because it could make things like beer, cars, and baseball bats more expensive. I mean, when I hear that, it just makes you want to get drunk and smash a car with a baseball bat. <laughs> but who can afford it now? In fact, this was such a spur-of-the-moment decision that all day, no one was sure it was even going to happen. In the morning, the White House confirmed it was happening. Then they said it wasn't going to happen. Then they said it would just be a listening session. And finally, they said, staff is waiting to tune into the meeting like everybody else to see what happens. Great. The White House didn't even know their own policy until they heard Trump say, giant pile of aluminum cans. Will you accept this, Rose? <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. This has been amazing. I wish I could cover all the chaos that's happening, but there's only so much of me and so much of the show. And uh, so it'll just have to be until next time to be continued.